as a parish assistant, uh, you always see me assist in worship. And a number of people uh, had often asked me, Bill, when are we going to hear you preach? Well, today's the day. <laughs> Let us turn to God in prayer. O oh Lord, truly, may the meditations of my mouth and the meditations that dwell in our hearts be reviewed and find acceptable in thy sight, our strength and our Redeemer. She was being so unrealistic and it was beginning to bother him. The vase sat on the kitchen counter in plain view day after day and week after week, and she seemed incapable of doing anything about it. She was paralyzed by her love for it, no doubt, but paralyzed nonetheless, incapable to bring herself to do what everyone else knew she would have to do. He was living um, at the time with this wonderful elderly lady of considerable means who rented rooms out to graduate students nearby, up nearby the college. Two poor graduate students like him. In her dining room, standing alone in a reserved spot under a gleam of recessed lighting, stood a crystal vase of Steuben glass. It was the most beautiful vase he had ever seen. It had a deep center and it flared up quickly to a big, flat, round rim so that when she filled it with her prize-winning tulips, they would just lay in a circle, gracefully in a swirl. And he had never thought that he would see tulips as an object of beauty before. But in the Steuben glass vase, they were elegant. She loved it, and he loved it. If you were to visit New York City and walk down the fashionable Fifth Avenue, you know, you see Saks Fifth Avenue, Tiffany, and the Steuben Glass Store. And you, when you walk in, you lose your breath when you look at the price tags. <laughs> 5000 for this vase. 10000 for this vase. 25000 for two crystal bears. You know, the price tags. You know what I'm going to say next? It wasn't my fault. <laughs> there was another graduate student living in that home at the same time. And one day, the landlady decided to take a little trip out of town for a week. And the other student began washing out the remains of some of the old tulips from the Steuben glass vase. And sure enough, 
She dinged it on the sink, and a half-inch piece triangle of glass broke out. And then in her hand, it broke all the way to the base, down to its base. The other student, even more destitute than he was, all she could do was cry. And he left all of it, all of its pieces in the kitchen counter, sick to death at what had happened. Now the landlady returns home, right? And found her beloved family vase where they left it. And found herself, understandably enough, a little broken as well. She didn't get angry as much, so much as bereaved. And for days, for days, that turned into weeks. They left, she left the base lying there on the kitchen counter, unable to bring herself to do what is inevitable. Maybe they can fix it somehow. You know, work a miracle, she would say, at time of time to get some support from the students that lived with her. You can't repair crystal, he replied, realistically to the core. And she knew it too. She was being so unrealistic and it was beginning to bother him and she was paralyzed by her love for it, no doubt, but paralyzed nonetheless. Unable to face what they all knew she had to face. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, and Steuben to sand. He wasn't the sole one paralyzed in that room, but only the most obvious. His friends were paralyzed in a way, unable to face what everyone knew they had to face. Days turned into weeks, and weeks turned into months. And his friends refused, refused to face the facts, unwilling to hear what everyone kept on telling him, that the diagnosis was worse than the grave. They say, nerve cells just don't regenerate like other cells. They say, yet his friends refused to face the whole of reality, hauling him from clinic to clinic, you know, maybe this doctor can fix him somehow. Looking for any glimmer of encouragement and hope from the doctor's eyes. You can't repair broken spinal cords, they reply. Realistic to the core. And his friends knew it too. They were paralyzed by their love for him, no doubt but paralyzed nevertheless. Unable to face what everyone knew they had to face. You read this story and you can't help 
but pity the disillusion in their determination to yet give it this one more try. He's doing remarkable things, this Jesus. They heard. So they loaded him up on a mat and dragged him through the city over to where Peter's house where he was preaching. And when they got near, they saw the massive roadblock and the massive crowds. No one else could get in the house. So they took him down the back alley, up the fire escape, and dug through the roof, the mud roof. And then they removed the roof and they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. You gotta be wondering what was going on in these friends' house, uh, minds, you know? For some reason, Jesus didn't object to the interruption of his preaching. Perhaps because Jesus himself is never or was never to be at all daunted by the facts. Never as much constrained by reality. Whatever the reason what happened next was the craziest thing of all. When Jesus saw their faith. Their faith, right? He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. It's not exactly what their friends were hoping to hear. But considering the new skylight in the house, one bed, you know. He wasn't the sole paralytic one in the room. Only the most obvious, you see. The seminarian worked for a year as a chaplain in a spinal cord ward of a hospital where most of the patients were young and and were paralyzed by car accidents, athletic accidents, and gunshots, a gun wounds. A frightening place it was for him to work. And it all at times seemed so senseless, so hopeless, and so final. See, nerve cells simply don't regenerate like other cells. And in retrospect, the young chaplain was paralyzed by it all as the patient with the Franklin. Frankenstein bolts attached to his head. This young man was in his 20s. Complete injury, um, in medical terms or jargon, for a fully severed spinal cord. And in the first days and weeks after his accident, the two of them would talk, and he told him about the things he was going to do to get his legs and to be uh, moving and walking again. How he was going to work at regaining the use of those legs. Now the chaplain otherwise, and maybe he knew it too, 
Since the chaplain was a man of God, he thought he just might better for him to face the music now and begin to his paralytic life adjustment to the reality of the injury. That chaplain told him as gently as he could that he would never walk again. And those were the last words that I spoke to him. We never had another meeting. We never had another talk. The young man's father was furious with me. He called my supervisor, demanding disciplinary action. My supervisor investigated. The medical records were right. What I told them was true. Everything went according to reality, and nothing came of it. You see. But it's so obvious to me now that that young man, in this case, was right. And I was wrong. I'm convinced that my reality was too small, too arrogant, and too petty, and too pat. Why is it, I said to myself in my training, we ministers in particular who collect a paycheck by claiming the incredible are, 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 of all people, the most lacking in imagination. I was sick of being paralyzed by reality. And if given a choice in the beginning, I think I'd rather be paralyzed by, um, you know, be paralyzed by self-delusion there's something far more attractive there was to me about the landlady's crazy hopes for her beloved face, about the young man's friends tearing off the roof, than all of my little certainties put together. If I were that young man in that bed, I would have thrown myself out also. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, or paralytic, excuse me, son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus' words didn't sit well as you uh, heard with some of the people. The scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this fellow speak this way? It's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? But get this. The scribes were right. They were right. Realistic to the core. God alone is the one that can forgive these kinds of sin. And yet Jesus raised the roof right off the house with his blasphemies. 
Your sins are forgiven. Jesus ripped the roof right through these little truths. The young man on that mat was not the only one paralyzed in that room. Only the most obvious. See the key word there? Your faith has made you well. You see, faith allows us to see life as it can be, not as it is. A person of faith translates dreams into reality. A non-believer translates reality into dreams. A person of faith makes commitments. A believer makes promises. A person of faith sees opportunities. The non-believer sees problems. A person of faith does it. A non-believer talks about it. A person of faith expects success. A non-believer expects failure. I think I'm going to call up Steuben to see if they might be, not be able to, they might be able to fix it, you know? She said to him one morning, and he tried, the student tried to, he kept, keep from rolling his eyes. Why couldn't she just give it up? She called Steuben. She told them what she, that she loved this face and that she knew it was sort of, kind of crazy, but wondered, wondered in faith if they might have some suggestion for her. Well, you know the answer. They were so sorry for her loss, right? And they said, the vase that she had or described was no longer in production. But what Steuben said next blew everyone's mind, the roof right off the top. What they said was this. If she would bring the broken vase up to their store, their artists could fashion a replacement at Steuben's expense. They would copy and replace it. No charge. Steuben would bear the high cost of what they themselves have broken. Is this not the epitome the core of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our realities are so small, yours and mine. Our realities are, you know, you can't repair a crystal. You can't regenerate uh, nerves. You better turn back. These realities are true. But they're too small. We fail to 
in our little realities to consider the maker handcrafted by God. You see, this was no ordinary vase. The vase was a student. He had failed in his little reality to consider the source, the maker of the vase. The young man on his mat, the young man in the hospital room were not just paralytics to be dismissed by doctors and chaplains, but someone's beloved friend, a father's beloved son, a student handcrafted from sand by God. So many paralyzed people, paralyzed by, uh, you know, realities, deadly realities, because they are partly true. I say to myself, give me the disillusions of the landlady's love for her face. Give me the delusions of the paralytic friends. Give me the blasphemies of Jesus and they over these little realities. The truth is, only that which is broken can be fixed by God. The same God who asked so much of Abraham who offered his son on behalf of those who doubt. And thus, by Christ, he reconciles us to him and to one another. By what is broken, by what is sacrificed, what is fractured. My friends, the miracle is we are healed and made whole. And not simply are we mended or glued together, you know. But as Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is not mended, but a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. It is God who repents of his testing of Abraham And who, as an act of reconciliation, offers up himself. And Paul invites us to be reconciled to God. To restore the brokenness of our lives. The brokenness of our world. Baltimore City will be restored. The heroin crisis in our community, in our state, in our lives will be beaten. In Christ, God has made the first move towards reconciliation. Towards us. And now, here, he invites us to respond, to accept what he offers, 
and who he is. This is an act of reconciliation that we can and now must make our own. My friends, come to the table for his body is broken for us. His blood is shed for us. Amen. Let's turn to God in prayer quickly. Oh God, you worked such wonderful miracles in our lives, but sometimes we live with small limitations. You often blow our minds away, ourselves. We thank you for this supper shared with us. We thank you for taking that first step. Help us now as we come to this table to accept and to be reconciled to you, our creator, maker, and lover. Amen.